Um, many of you are probably knee-deep in preparation, um, and if you're not, then probably someone in your house is. I'll let you figure out who's doing what. But uh, just uh, a reminder of why it's important. Um, the Exodus story, there's a little piece of the Exodus story I like to bring out a lot because I think it gets overlooked. And it's that when Moses went back to uh, Egypt, uh, he met with the, the Hebrews and he discovered that they had, had totally forgotten to meet together, had totally forgotten how to worship God, had, had forgotten their ceremonies and celebrations, and, and sat down and met with the leaders, the elders, and said, hey, what's going on? And then did a training with them as far as like, hey, let's start this, let's start this, and let's start this. And so um, I know that, that it might seem a lot what, what's ahead of you this Christmas season, but um, you're passing on something that is priceless. You're, you're helping people gather together and you're teaching the next generation well as you center it around Jesus. Christmas, it's an event, right? December 25th. It's an event, but for Christians, it's so much more than that. It's a life process that we are in. This life process of, of seeking, like the Magi did, of worshiping, like the shepherds did, of following Jesus, like the disciples did. The, the verse that I kept coming back to all week is out of Chronicles, and I just read this over you. And if you're a note taker, there's a few questions and space in your, your bulletin if that's what you like to do. Um, but this verse, seek the Lord and his strength. Very apt, very, very connecting for this week as sometimes you feel overwhelmed. Seek the Lord and his strength and seek his presence continually. The Magi, shepherds, uh, later I'm going to mention Anna and Simeon in the temple, all holding on focus to follow God and to seek his presence to seek a change for the good to seek something better in this world focus isn't always easy is it as a young boy I was the oldest in my family and um, in our house we had something called the jar room and in the jar room uh, basically that's a pantry and I think the pantry is supposed to be conveniently located to the kitchen, but in my house it was not. The jar room was at the under end of the house, down a flight of stairs in the corner of the basement. And it had all kinds of goodies like peaches and pickles and all kinds of applesauces, and the freezer was there. And as the oldest son, it was often my responsibility to listen to my mom about what we needed next and to go down to the jar room and retrieve it. So she might say, hey, Dustin, I need a jar of pickles. I might hear those words, and then I might walk down the hallway very quietly, not to wake up the ninjas that probably lived in the attic. <laughs> then I would creep down the stairs, maybe skipping every other to see if I could do it without falling. And then at the bottom of the stairs, I would look around for my baseball mitt. I hadn't seen it in a while. Then I would look at the ping pong table and think about the last game I played with my dad. Then I would see the bathroom and remembered I had to use the bathroom. So I would use the bathroom, and then I finally made it to the jar room, and I would look inside, and what was my next question? I had no idea why I was there. <laughs> no idea what I was supposed to bring back. And so my mother, um, if she could have possibly bought this stuff, she would have. I called it magic dust. Um, and so in my house, this is my barbecue mix, actually. It's sprinkled on everything. Um, some people who are into grilling know it's Mike's Magic Magic Dust Rub. It's great stuff. 
But if this could have been focus dust, my mom would have sprinkled it on me every time she gave me instructions to go to the jar room, and for sure every morning before school. So um, do you, just to raise a hand, do you know anyone that could possibly use some focus dust? Just raise your hand real quick. All right, maybe yourself, maybe someone you're sitting next to. If I could invent this stuff, I'd be a rich man. So uh, sometimes at our meetings, in our planning meetings, um, Pastor Brian Thomas, who I worked with for the last five years, would often say, hey, what's our bandwidth? Can we handle this? What's our bandwidth? What, if we say yes to something, are we saying no to something else? And so uh, our attention and focus is somewhat limited to a point. I, uh, in 1991, I was able to go to college, and uh, I ended up making our soccer squad at Messiah College um, at my freshman year, and, and I was all into it. I thought it was great. I had a great time. And for the first three weeks, it was all about soccer, and I was doing great. Um, but then what happened after those first three weeks that may have um, been a surprise, may have gotten in the way of the full attention I wanted to give soccer? Can anyone tell me what happened next? Yeah, school started, like classes started, and then grades started to come in. And at the end of my first semester, when I looked at my report card and saw I had barely gotten a 2.3 GPA, I knew that maybe something needed to change, that I only had so much attention and focus, and I was not handling it well. The busyness of life seems to somehow dilute, water down the times that we should be treasuring. It just sometimes just dilutes it, just waters it down. And we might miss those special times that we need to hang on to. Have you ever taken a nature walk with a two-year-old? Walk seven feet, stop. Walk ten feet, stop. There's a bug on the ground. There's a flower. There's a stick. And it will just continue to go like that. They are picking up on these amazing things to treasure and love, and we're walking right by. And sometimes uh, lack of focus, uh, that can be us, and just caught up in the busyness of life. Uh, A theologian that I was reading on this week called it our ultimate concerns. As we process our faith, as we read Scripture, what are the ultimate concerns that just bubble up and we really want to anchor to? Maybe at a time in your life that there was a spiritual high, a time where um, you just felt really connected to God. And then maybe you look at another time, or maybe now, and you say, you know, it's kind of a low time. I don't feel connected to God. And the question often comes up, what changed? Did God change? Lots of things probably changed, but definitely focus would be one of those words that could creep up as you pray through that and think through it. Has my focus changed? If you've been married for a while and you've gotten to a point where maybe you're just hitting one another's heads on things and you're disconnected, you might say to yourself, you know, it's been so easy to make time for all this other stuff, but not for one another. In times of of lack of focus, uh, I just outlined a couple key things that we might find ourselves in. We might find ourselves in a season of life where, where we feel like, It's wide, but we're missing out on the depth. Where we're busy, but we're not sure about our production. 
where we're maybe driven by things we're not good at and we're just pushing and, and striving for those areas and we're forgetting maybe what we're good at and neglect what we truly care about. The verse I want to share with you this morning, too, come out of Proverbs. My son, stay focused. Listen to the wisdom I have gained. Give attention to what I have learned about life so you may be able to make sensible judgments and speak with knowledge. And later on in Proverbs, a discerning person keeps wisdom in view and a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. So distracted. Forgetting, not holding on to those ultimate concerns. And so a few questions for you. Number one, what is prayer about? Often it's focus. What's Sabbath about? What's working hard and taking a break? What's Sabbath about? Often moving aside distractions and some busyness and focus. Or going deeper into something that's meaningful, that fills us. What's Christmas about? I won't answer that. I'll let you fill that in. But what is Christmas about? I I thought to myself, what are some practical things that might be um, the opposite of losing focus right now, this week? And, And here's a couple tips, thoughts that I had. You may be more creative than I. Uh, Number one is try to sit in front of the Christmas tree for 10 minutes. Don't do anything. Just sit there. Maybe make short lists instead of one big long list. We have our lists to do, but maybe maybe write down five things that we can get done today, and at the end of the day, you're like, I finished them. I'm good. I know there's a list tomorrow, but I'm not looking at it yet. Maybe try not to use the word busy. Just as a way of practicing the fact that we don't want to be so busy that we're missing out on the things that we treasure. So maybe, maybe avoid using that word in an effort to not be just busy. Give a hand. Why are so many people blessed through mission trips? Maybe it's the first time in their life that they spent three, five, ten days just focused in on the needs of someone else than their own. Find a way to give a hand this season. Give a gift card to maybe a couple that needs a night out together. Hand someone a gas card that might be traveling a long way. Hand someone a a gift card to a restaurant who, who might be visiting someone in the hospital and traveling to and from. Help someone get groceries. Help someone make food. Help someone clean. Kids, that last one was for you. Just thought I'd slide it in there. Okay? Help make some food. Help put away the groceries, and mom, dad, how can I help clean? Uh, this next one, the kids don't, you just plug your ears for a second, kids. Uh, do something old-fashioned, no technology. All right, kids, you can, you can unplug your ears. But what, one, year, one year we had the power go out at, at my wife's uh, place down in Mardikville at the farm, and we had to figure out how to do Christmas without power. And so um, we had a ham that we had to figure out what to do with. And I believe it ended up getting heated up on an outdoor grill, so it all worked out. And I think we ended up playing Rook or Dutch Blitz by candlelight. Um, Maybe you go down and hit the breaker to the house and just tell the kids something must have happened. (laughs) Uh, I'll let you figure that one out. (laughs) But maybe maybe do something old-fashioned if you can. No tech. Uh, Sit together and read Luke 2. Just focusing on the Christmas story. Uh, I opened up uh, back in December 
the beginning of December, I opened up on this series, and, and I mentioned what needed to come together to usher in the first Christmas. So lots of different prophecies, but, but most of them can be kind of summed up into these five things needing to happen. A star would rise, there would be a Bethlehem birth, there would be a direct descendant of David, powerful men would travel from afar to worship, and lastly, the mother would be a virgin. So with the Magi, they, they fulfilled number four here, and they were completely focused. They were well-educated. They were steeped in science and astrology. They were aware of all world religions, and they had traveled across the globe, we think around a thousand miles, maybe by foot, maybe they had camels, maybe horses, to follow this bright star that was in the sky each morning. This star would point them to the birthplace of the next king of the Jews, but, but they needed to stop at the current king of the Jews, Herod, maybe to, to, to pay respects or maybe to ask permission to travel through his land or, or maybe to get his stamp of protection. They were outsiders traveling in dangerous land, traveling with big expensive gifts hooked to whatever animals they might have had with them. To Herod, they must have seemed crazy or maybe onto something. So he calls together his religious leaders, hey, what's happening? And they report back, they say, well, there is a prophecy in Micah that a king would be born in Bethlehem. And so Herod says to these wise foreigners, hey, let me know when you find him. And when they don't return, he realizes that they tricked him. And so he sends out an army to look for any boy to and under. These wise men, they could have certainly gotten distracted from their focus. Uh, this is the, the richest man in the whole kingdom saying, hey, come hang out at my palace. Would you do my bidding? Hey, I'll protect you and maybe pay you. And instead, they don't get distracted with something easy like that, but they are focused in on seeking, finding. You, you could say the Magi really represent the seeking and the gift-giving that really becomes the heart of Jesus' ministry. Jesus would shout abundance, generosity, better give than receive. And the Magi would represent this in this long, dangerous journey to give him gifts. Jesus would then fulfill this with another long and dangerous journey to give himself to the world through the cross. The shepherds. We find the shepherds focused in on watching over their sheep. Uh, lots of times, if you read a little bit of the history, you're going to find out that it was a little unusual for all the adults, shepherds, to be out that night. Typically, a, a night watch for sheep is left to the youngest kid in your family. So if you're the youngest and you're sitting here today, it would have probably been your job. Th think of David in the Old Testament when they came looking for David and they're like, yeah, he's out watching the sheep. And well, his brothers were in the house because he was like the youngest and it would have been sort of the undesirable time to be watching sheep. But if all of them were out working together, as we see in this, it's probably the birthing season. It's probably springtime in Jerusalem. And so all hands on deck, the babies, sheep are coming. We need to protect them and see that this all works out well. And so um, we find all of them, adults included, out together. When the angels show up. And the angels showing up is significant. It's the only second time in history of the Bible that a group of angels appears. So we can't miss this. The second time. Luke 2. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. 
they had shifted all their focus into something new, to seeking Jesus. I wonder what Joseph and Mary's new focus was when the shepherds arrived. Like the angels told us about it, but these shepherds, what are they saying? What is this all going to be about? Then we know that Mary and Joseph made a trip to the temple in Jerusalem twice in those early days of Jesus. Once on the eighth day for circumcision ritual. And then on the 40th day would have been a dedication to God of their son, but also a purification ritual that Mary would have gone through as a Jewish young lady who had just had a kid. And so we know that uh, Jesus might have been about 600 yards from the throne of Herod who was keenly looking for the next king of the Jews. And in this moment, we see that Simeon, a man in the temple, a spiritual pilgrim, someone who was waiting in the temple, that had been promised by God that he would see the Messiah before he died. This man goes over to Mary and Joseph, can I hold your son? There is something special. This would be the savior of the world. Not just the town. Not just their people, but of the world. And then Anna, known as a prophet in the temple, wise with scriptures, familiar with the times, and hopeful for the work of God. This is Rembrandt's thoughts on maybe what Hannah or Anna, depending on your translation, might have looked like in her older age as she studied scripture. Luke calls her ancient in his scripture. Kids, when you go to Christmas gatherings... Um, don't call your older aunts and grandmas ancient. I don't think we're supposed to do that. But um, Luke just calls it out. She's ancient. God is using the old to usher in the new. You like that ir- irony? That the old, while the young Mary had something to say, now the old have something to say and the wise. Anna, well-connected, well-respected, goes back many generations of Hebrew leaders Moses prophesied that for the tribe of Asher, her tribe that was read this morning, says your strength will equal your days in Scripture. And she was fulfilling this. Her life was evidence of this. As a widow living in the temple in a ministry position, she worshipped night and day, fasted and prayed. I would call that focus. The same routine of worship for decades, but seeing Jesus was the fulfillment of her focus. She knew her waiting was over. She thanked God loudly. While Simeon had proclaimed a wider impact of Jesus across the globe, she proclaimed a wide impact for their local position as Hebrews under the Roman rule in Jerusalem. Her actions affirmed Amos 3.7, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. And she was the prophet to say, This is about to happen. The focus now is set for the baby and for the parents. His life will be one for good, impacting locally and rippling out globally. Mary and Joseph must have been incredibly honored by these words from these two people and maybe fearful at the same time as they knew Herod steps away was going to start looking for this boy. All these different people that came to visit Jesus They all held different positions in culture and in life. But they all held a steadfast focus. 
A hope was being born. A change was coming. Something great was happening. God was behind it. A light that would push back darkness was being born. The the time was adversarial. It was not a great time or an easy time to be a Hebrew. Maybe a little bit similar to the time when they were in Egypt. Persecution was rampant. Taxes were terrible. God was working on something new for them. The, the thing about tough times and adversary, adversarial times is we don't welcome them, but in those times, if you've been through one or you're in one right now, you realize that, that there's usually a call to focus. There's usually something in those times that sharpens what our ultimate concerns are to be. Maybe at Christmas, there's a time for us to focus in on God. What do I keep before me? What is my next step? What should be my ultimate concern? What was Jesus's? I want to show you a verse that I think really sums up where Jesus was at and where his mindset, where his heart was, where, what his body acted out through his time in ministry. And that is, I have brought you glory on earth, God. This is from Jesus. By finishing the work you gave me to do. This would have been his ultimate concern. Is it ours? And then the verse that I mentioned at the beginning. Do we seek the Lord and his strength? Do we seek his presence continually? I wish I could sprinkle you with some focus dust this morning. But may you find focus. May you find a time this season to realize God, Emmanuel, God with us. The band could come on back up as we go and we sing this last song. May you take time to, to ask God what to focus in on this morning. May you take time to, to say, God, meet with me. I want your presence. God, Jesus was up to something. He's working on finishing the plan you have for him. What is my plan? Let me have that focus. And as we dig through the presents and the the fun things of this Christmas season, may we find ourselves right before that manger time and time again. God, this was the hope. This was the change that that happened. And as a Christian, I believe that it wasn't just an event, but it's this process that you invite me in and you meet me in time and time again.